Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Money and Stuff. I'm your host, Sam Rodriguez. Hope everybody's doing well. This week, we have Brian on again. Brian, as you know, if you listened last time, is co-founder of Foundation Wealth Partners. We founded Foundation Wealth Partners together. And last time he was here, we had a really good discussion about what we see happening in the market right now. If you hadn't had the chance to listen to it, I'd encourage you to go back. Go back about a week. You'll be able to see it. Um, talking about what we see happening in the market, you know whether things are overvalued or not, and what you can do about that. But towards the end of that conversation, he mentioned something really quickly about bonds and there, you know, possibly being an opportunity or, or an opportunity coming up even with bonds. So I asked him to come back on if we could pick up that conversation again. Brian, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. How's it going, Sam? Oh, it's good. It's good. Hey, I'm just going to jump into it. Right. So last time you said you see an opportunity coming up in bonds. I know you and I have t- talked about that at length. Man, I'm just going to let you take it away. Like, t- tell me what you're seeing. Yeah. Well. Well. So what's I think it makes sense though to kind of go back a couple of years, Sam. You know, like, gosh, even almost to like a like COVID time frame. You know. Um, mm-hmm. You know. So to kind of set up and, and really, because it's hard to understand the opportunity, right? And, and also. I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, there hasn't really been a reason, a big reason, you know, to to be overweight bonds, you know, or the asset, the fixed income asset class, you know, for, for years in portfolios because of, you know, yields being so low. But, you know, what all does that mean and why, you know, I think is the, the bigger question. So, you know, uh, why don't, why don't, Sam, why don't you take us back through like what happened in 2020? What sure. got us here? Sure. So, I, you know, before I jump into that, I think one thing I want to say is people may be you know, listening right now and saying opportunity and bonds, I'm only holding bonds as a you know, ballast to my stocks. Bonds are supposed to stay safe when my stocks are falling. So that way my account doesn't fall as much as the market. You know, no one, I haven't heard anybody say before about an opportunity in bonds. And that's really what we're talking about right now. So prior to 2020, what we saw was the Fed beginning to raise interest rates again. So in order to talk about 2020, I feel like we have to go back all the way to 2009, man, maybe even 2004, right? Um, And talk about how the Fed uses interest rates. So, you know, the Fed has two uh, main requirements. One of those, and and the one that we're seeing them try to enact right now, is to keep inflation low. And they use interest rates to try to bring inflation down. So the higher interest rates are, the harder it is for you to finance things. So hopefully you spend less money and and, and it kind of cools the economy off. By contrast, when we go through uh, recessions, like in you know the early 2000s, so if I go back, like I said, 2004, they started raising interest rates. Before that, they were lowering interest rates because we were in a recession. Then from 04 to like 08, they were raising interest rates again to try to cool the economy down. 09, we have the big recession. They drop interest rates dramatically. Then in 09, interest rates were kept relatively low. Um, they actually they kept them pretty low for a while, right? Like 2009 to 2015, they they kept them pretty low. So yeah, am I remembering that right? Vir- vir- yeah, virtually zero. You know, I mean, there was there was no yield. Yeah, so I think it was. Let's see here. It was actually 2015. Um, okay. 2015. It was, it was some slow, some slower and smaller rate hikes up until really up until you know COVID hit and it was back to zero again. Yeah. So COVID hits. Everybody's scared that the economy is going to completely collapse because. We, we basically shut the world down. You couldn't go out and spend money. Um, so rates dropped dramatically. That's why you have a ton of people that have like a two, two and a half percent rate on their mortgage right now, bought cars at super low exactly. interest rates. 
um, were able to refinance a ton of debt down to, to extremely low rates. It was all meant as a stimulus, right? Which gets us to what, um, middle of last year? Yeah, March of last year. Yeah, Fed starts raising rates. The economy's hot. Everybody's finally out of their homes. They haven't been able to spend money for like a year and a half. They're spending money on you know, going out to eat, buying everything, building houses at a super fast pace because everyone can buy a house at a cheap rate. Um, so the Fed sees that, hey, things are getting hot again. We're going to start raising interest rates. So where were we and where are we now? Yeah, so so March of last year, before that initial rate hike, we were we were virtually at zero. Short term interest rates were virtually zero, you know. And so, um, in fact, if we look at like December of 2021, you know, the let's see here, the Fed funds rate was was zero. Ten um, year Treasury, the ten year Treasury was at one and a half percent. You know, so you go buy a ten year government bond, and you're going to make one and a half percent on that for the next ten years, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 30-year government debt was was under was less than two, you know, and so, yeah, so then you know, Fed started to hike up interest rates, right? Short-term interest rates, and that's really, you know, when the Fed moves interest rates, we have to remember that you know the Fed only controls the Fed funds rate. The market dictates mm-hmm. the rest of those the rest of those yields, right? Yeah, and so so the Fed started hiking rates, and you know, where we are today, you know, we're now we're now at you know, the range of five and a quarter to, to five and a half percent on the on the Fed funds rate. But what's just really interesting is that this uh, the yield curve is significantly or extremely inverted, which mm-hmm. is kind of hard to wrap your mind around. So, you know, w- what does the yield curve inversion mean? Simply put, now think about when you're getting your 30-year mortgage, right? It's like you get a 30-year mortgage, you know that, you know, if you take a 20-year note out instead of a 30, you're going to get a better rate, right? Or you would think mm-hmm. that you would. You know, a 15-year, you would expect that you get a lower rate than a 30 year and you know a 10 year you'd expect to get a lower rate than a than a, than a 15 year right and just continues you know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a slope it's a forward slope and so what we're seeing now is that you know the the fed funds rate or the very very the shortest end of the yield curve is that call it five and a half percent and rates actually start going down from there so you, you're not rewarded you know for locking in yields beyond you know six months really in this day and age. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy. That's the shape of the yield curve right now. It's 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 kind of mind boggling, right? So like I guess it begs the question, right? Like why would I just not tell me why I shouldn't just buy a money market fund? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a logical question to ask. Don't you think so, Sam? Yeah, I think so, right? I mean you know, you talk about the 10 year rate being one and a half when when all this started. And I think rates were so low for so long. It it was really crazy when we had so many people um, you know, if they could get a savings account or a CD that paid 1%, they were jumping on it because you couldn't get 1% for a long time, right? And so now you can get money market over 5%. You can get a CD over 5%. What I would say, what's interesting though, and I think this is kind of getting to the point of, of where you're going is go look at those longer term CDs. Go look at an 18 month CD or a 24 month CD and they're not paying the same as the 13 or the nine month CD. It, it, it's what not that, paying you to lock that up. You're right. And, and, and what's crazy is, is that if you go out to, you know, two years or three years or four years, you're, you're getting even less than that, you know, 18 month CD. Right. And so, right. so that begs the question is like, why are, why are the banks doing that? Yeah. What that tells me is the banks anticipate the rates not being as high as they are today in a relatively short period of time from now. That would mean that the banks agree with the yield curve, broadly mm-hmm. speaking, right? 
the yield curve is ultimately telling us the same thing, right? Is that the yield curve for the market, really, because the market is what drives the yield curve. The Fed only controls the very, very short end of it. So the market even Mm -hmm. believes that rates are going to be lower in the future. Right. And I think it's important to acknowledge, too, because there's a lot of this talk about, you know, are we going to have a recession or not? You know, and I think that this conversation is kind of like irrelevant to that. So I think that Mm -hmm. regardless of whether or not we have, you know, a recession in a month or six months or a year, regardless of the path that's in front of us, I think that we should all agree that, you know, inevitably rates are going to come down. It's just a matter of like, are they going to go up anymore from here? How long Mm -hmm. are they going to stay there? You know, but, but ultimately, um, you know, as a, as a country, we can't afford to keep rates as high, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. it's really just not in the cards. Yeah. So I think there's only three scenarios I can think of when it comes to rates. One is eventually rates have to come back down, right? And we can talk about what would drive that down. Two is rates stay where they are. And then three is rates go up for some reason. I think that there's less risk of rates going up another 5% than there is of the, the, the probability of rates, you know, specifically, you know, on the Fed funds rate moving down, you know, three or 4%. I want to talk a little bit about why we think rates are probably going to come down, right? So we we talked earlier about the Fed raising rates to try to slow the economy down and bring inflation down. And this year in 2023, we've seen inflation very quickly sort of change its acceleration, right? The acceleration has slowed down quite a bit, went from over 7% now down to about 3% very, very quickly. And if that continues, the Fed will not need to be raising interest rates the way that they're raising them right now. And so even if, let's say that inflation stays kind of sticky around 3%, then the Fed doesn't have to be nearly as aggressive as they were when inflation was 7%. But if inflation continues to fall and we get to 2.5%, 2%, then they need to keep that stable. And I think that's where we see them begin to really drop interest rates. Yeah, I, I would agree. So, I mean, for me, you know, the bigger picture is, is regardless of the path, rates are coming back down. It's just, yeah. they might edge up a little bit more before they, before they begin that, that, that ultimate move back, back down. Yeah. So I think we've given the longest prelude, you know, sure. to get to the point that we're trying to make of, that that's what brings opportunity in bonds right now. Why, why don't you talk about why that results in opportunity in bonds? Yeah, yeah. So what's, 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 what I find most interesting about bonds is, is that, you know, we can, we can calculate the future returns of bonds. Um, it's, it's math, right? It's purely mathematics, you know, because at, at its, you know, at its most basic factor, if you talk about an individual bond, right? And I'm going to oversimplify it a bit. The bonds are issued in $100 denominations. They mature in $100 denominations. Right. And so between issuance and maturity, you know, that price is going to fluctuate from plus or minus a hundred dollars. Okay. And so, you know, speaking of an investment grade bond, the primary driver of that, of that fluctuation is interest rates. Right. And so last year when interest rates went up from zero to five at an extremely rapid pace, a lot of these, and I call it an intermediate, you know, intermediate term bond fund, you know, that has durations that let's call the average duration, you know, a six, you know, so it would mm-hmm. mean like on the aggregate, most of the bonds in the portfolio have about a lifespan of about six more years. They saw mm-hmm. declines of 12 to 15%, right? On a, on a bond investment, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of people um, experienced that last year. So we're talking about opportunities and bonds and way I mentioned earlier, people mostly having bonds to be the counterweight to their stocks. But in the last couple of years, they've seen their bonds lose money. And last year in particular, bonds lose almost as much money as the S&P 500 did as a whole. So even your conservative investor had a pretty rough year, not that much different than, than an aggressive investor, right? So I could, yeah. I, I could imagine that people well, listening to this right now might be a little bit skeptical 
you know, so saying, you know, I, I recently got burned on bonds. You know, why, why are you telling me to start adding more? Sure, sure. So, you know, what's even crazy is that, you know, a longer duration bond portfolio lost as much or more than, you know, the NASDAQ last year. You know, you're talking mm. 30 plus percent. It's insane, you know. And so, but back to that original part, right? So, you know, if, if, I, if I have a bond, you know, and it, and it goes down by, you know, 15%, right? And it has six years left to maturity. And its interest payment is, let's call it a 4% interest, a 4%, 4% yield based off of a $100 price, right? Mm-hmm. And it matures in six years. Well, we can reverse engineer that and come up with a, a, a term called yield to maturity, right? Mm-hmm. Which tells me like, all right, between now and the time this bond matures, what is my, you know, what is my annual rate of return going to look like, right? You know, and, and, and right now we're seeing yield to maturities on, you know, just your Barclays aggregate bond funds, run of the mill, right? Which is, you know, call it the equivalent of the S&P 500 for bonds, just your bond index, you know, mm-hmm. north of 6% yield to maturity. You know, with a six-year duration, I think that I, I think that the other the other part of that part of that equation, though, is that, is that well, what if what these guys are saying, Brian and Sam, are are are, are right? You know, and let's say that, that over the next couple of years, rates come down, not even to where they were a couple of years ago, but let's say rate rates come down, you know, a good bit, right? Whatever that means, mm-hmm. you know. And so, just like with what happened last year, when rates rates went up a lot, those bonds went down a lot, right? Well, if rates happen to come to get cut in coming years, let's forget about a recession. Let's just assume we have a soft landing and all things are great and the Fed starts cutting rates again. The price of those bonds are going to move up. You know, so you may accelerate, you know, that yield to maturity, right? Um, You might, you might get two thirds of that return, you know, over the next two to three years, right? I want to stop real quick and talk about that yield to maturity. So, you know, and break it down a little bit. So when you're talking about yield to maturity, for those of you who might be saying, okay, what, what exactly did that mean? Let's say that you've got a ten-year bond and it's it's earning four point one percent, right? You, and its original par or its original price was one hundred dollars, right? And you know you're earning four point one percent of that one hundred dollars. Well, your yield to maturity would include either the premium or discount that you paid to purchase that bond. So if you were able to buy a bond that's going to mature at a hundred dollars, but you were able to buy it for ninety six you'd include that $4 discount that you got into your yield, right? So yes, you would be getting 4.1% of $100 on that bond that you bought, but you'd also have to include that you're going to make that $4 because it's going to mature at $100, but you only bought it for 96. Exactly. And so you look at the Barclays aggregate bond index, right? And I, I just pulled it up, Sam. So the average price is about 88 bucks. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a lot of room to run. Which probably explain like the, remember when we took the Series 7, the uh, sort of seesaw, like in the way that bonds right. move, that's probably the simplest way to explain the way the bonds move and why there's opportunity in there. Sure, sure. And so, you like, want me to do about, it or you want you know, to do it? <laughs> I'm, ha- I'm happy to do it, right? So if you think about that, the, the old the old bond teeter-totter, right? So playground math, huh? So, right. you know, you know, you sit on, you sit on the teeter-totter, if you consider, you know, let's, let's call it the right side of the teeter-totter as we'll call it interest rates. And if you can imagine the left side of the teeter-totter is the price, is your bond, not the interest, but just the price of the bond, whatever it's worth. Mm-hmm. And so now I like to go a little bit further in my teeter-totter example and, and draw a line, make three bonds on it, right? So on the bond side, I like to have a bond really close to the fulcrum. I like to have a bond in the middle 
of the teeter-totter, and I like to have a bond at the end of the fulcrum. And the reason I like to do that is so I can kind of explain the difference between shorter duration and longer duration. But ultimately, mm-hmm. yeah, you got the teeter-totter. On the bond side, you got three bonds sitting on it, one really close to the fulcrum and one in the middle and one at the very, very end. So when interest rates go up, right, all, the, the, all those bonds on the bond side, they go down, right? Mm-hmm. And so the one that goes down the furthest, though, is the one at the very, very end because the one that's very close to the fulcrum doesn't move a lot. And, and the, the reason I like to include that is, is because that one closest to the fulcrum would kind of be like a, think of a money market fund, right? It's like the price of the mm-hmm. fund isn't going to decline if rates go up, just the yield is going to go away, right? And so, um, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, when those interest rates come down, that side of the teeter-totter is going to go up. So, so I guess in, out of respect to time, man, like uh, I think it'd be might be fun to talk a little bit about like, so what does that mean? What are the actual takeaways here for portfolios? You know, and I, I say like, well, first of all, you know, I think that I think it's important to acknowledge and understand, you know, how how bonds work, and you know, if you're not grasping what we're saying, you know, schedule some time to talk with with us or your advisor or something like that, because. Mm-hmm. We still have, you know, a, a significant portion of our, of our of our assets in very, very short maturity bonds, you know, and money markets and things of that nature, right? Um, but what we what we have been doing is just kind of strategically, you know, dollar cost averaging and adding some duration to portfolios, you know, because we don't know, no one does, you know, when when the Fed is going to when this madness is going to end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what we do know is that at this point in time, my yield to maturity, you know, is actually a really palatable number. So this is an example, okay? Let's say interest rates come down by a percentage point. You know, you stand to make eight, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when we're in the environment that we anticipate rates declining, you know, yeah, they could edge up a little bit more and stay there for a while, which by the way, we're going to get paid while we wait. You know, I feel like bonds represent an opportunity and I think that the investment implications are start to build in some duration in portfolios, but just be, be reasonable and intelligent with it. You know, mm-hmm. um, what do you think, Sam? Yeah, you know, I, I number one, I'll say I agree with you, right? Number two is I'll say, you know, bonds work different than stocks, right? They're 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 a completely different animal. They're only related in that usually when stocks go down, bonds go up, right? Um, and that may, uh, you know, I should make that point too. That may not be the case this coming year, right? There are definitely times when stocks and bonds go up at the same time. Right. Just like we saw last year, there were times when stocks and bonds go down at the same time. So it's completely possible they could both be going up. Um, right. But one of the things I think is important to know about bonds is you're right. If the Fed raises rates another quarter or, or another two quarters, right, it's possible you could see, you know, if you're if you're extending your duration right now, buying longer term bonds, you know, seven to 10 year bonds, it's possible you'll see that price come down and you may get a little frustrated saying, oh, I heard Sam and Brian saying that, that there's opportunity in bonds right now. It's important to know we're not saying that, hey, we know this is about to start making money right now. What we're saying is it looks very likely that the Fed is going to start dropping interest rates at some point in the near future. That could be three months, that could be six months from now. And when that happens, here's what we'll see begin to happen with bonds. So more what we're saying is you can buy this yield right now, you can buy it at a discount, and we don't know exactly when it's going to work, but likely a year from now, you'll be happy that you were owning those bonds, right? The shorter term, you know, there could be a little bit of pain short term, but I think you have to at least keep a 12-month perspective if you're employing this into your investment strategy. Number two is rates move very slowly on the downward slope, 
right? So I don't want anybody to panic and say, oh my gosh, I got to start like flooding into bonds right now. Or why aren't you guys extending the duration on my bonds all right now? Well, like Brian said, we don't know exactly when this is going to happen. And even if the Fed comes out and drops rates a quarter of a percent, it's likely that they're going to continue to drop rates for some time, which means there will still be opportunity to take advantage of as time goes on. Just like stocks, very, very difficult to catch at the peak or trough. It's just important to have a strategy. And I would say, man, that's another big thing right now that I would say is it's very important to have an overall strategy. Yes, it's very important to be diversified, but it's also important to know within that diversification, what are you holding and why? So it's not just enough to say, I've got a 60, 40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. It always is. Well, what type of stocks are you owning right now? right? What type of bonds are you owning right now? Because they don't all have the same opportunity, right? So I think it's very, very important to not just sit on your account and think I've got a 60-40 portfolio, everything's going to be fine. Dig into that account a little bit or talk with your advisor, talk with somebody like us and say, okay, what am I holding? And with what you're seeing in the future, what you're seeing happen with interest rates, how would my portfolio react to that? I agree, Sam. I was just going to say too, like how like earlier this year, like the consensus across the board expectation was that they're going to start cutting rates now, like this time this year. Yeah. And so yeah. like how that can shift, how that can shift expectations just like from all the smart people could shift so rapidly. Don't be surprised if the Fed doesn't continue raising rates based on the reason they're raising rates right now. Right. So, you know, yes, we have inflation, but what, what they're seeing as really sticky right now is consumers are continuing to buy. And that's kind of, I don't know the right word. I don't want to say it's confusing the Fed, but it is a little bit confusing, right? We've got, you know, prices were up, wages have come up, but not that high, but people are continuing to buy. So you really start to question, well, is raising interest rates really having that much of an effect on inflation because people don't seem to be slowing down their buying? And what you see is people on the higher end of the income scale have rebounded much quicker than everybody else when it comes to the inflation that we've seen. So the way you rebound on inflation is you make higher wages. And people who are already on the high end of the income scale, their incomes have gone up while everybody else's has stagnated. Well, it just so happens that those people on the higher end of the income scale happen to also be the people who spend more money on things. And so those people really continue to push this economy forward by continuing to spend money because people are spending money and it's not driving inflation higher we're still watching inflation fall, right? So I, I, th I think all of that lends itself to rates are likely to fall fairly soon, even without a recession. 100% agree. And that's why I think it was important to kind of go through this discussion with that kind of assumption, right? But even if, if you if you happen to be, or we ha if we happen to have a recession, I think everything that we just said is just accelerated, right? Yeah. Bonds look even yeah. better, you know? So um, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a good point to make. So anyway, yeah, this has been good, Sam. Let's do it again soon. Hey, man, I know we've also been talking a lot about defined outcome strategies. I think um, next time we get together, let's talk about that. Does that sound good? Sounds good, man. All right, dude. I appreciate you coming on. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time. See you, Sam.